Hey everybody, before we get started tonight, I want to let you know that this episode was recorded on February 2nd, a much more footloose and fancy free time than the present. If the mini-apocalypse hasn't gone too far, Danielle and I will have a new episode out to talk all about what's going on soon. And real quick, as frightening as it all seems, this is the perfect opportunity for us to practice taking better care of each other during a time when folks really are going to be needing just that while learning how to treat each other in a new, better way down the road. Let's give it a shot. So for now, we offer one of the most enjoyable interviews we've done over the years, and hopefully a little bit of levity, which we could definitely use right now. A special hello to our pal Evan in Spain, who has been with us since the very beginning. Stay well, my friend, along with all of you. So, on with the show. This should be interesting because Rich is only a couple of times I've seen Rich this high. Uh, the one time that was almost scary was. Uh, I'm afraid to know. <laughs> you don't remember? I, I can imagine why you don't remember. We must have been Dog Boomer. Or... Oh, good God. Yes. When uh, we had recorded some epic episode and uh, Rich got to taste the glory of Northern California grown. And oh. he was like, I think the comment was, we broke Rich. It happens on occasion. Yes. But uh, today, uh, not quite to that level, but for uh, reasons you're going to gather as we jump into the podcast, Rich is fairly high. Me, I'm a sober-minded guy, so I never would I be high or anything like that. His but eyes are actually clearer than normal. He's right. got a sparkle going to him. Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again, as TV producer, journalist, and cannabis activist Abdul Saeed joins us for an uplifting chat, including Hemp in the Hands of People is Freedom, and we live in a time of more freedoms than ever the tough times of the weed drought of the early 90s, as well as great moments in weed history. Normal is paradise, and proof that the human spirit can never be suppressed. Let's spark one up. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, Batten down the hatches and prepare to open your mind for the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast, episode 177. Hector Marimba, brought to you by Onnit, O-N-N-I-T, Human yes. Optimization. Uh, that was a seamless flow into it, I would say. It, it was time to, you know, I gotta say one thing. I, I have looked at the hundreds of available I guess you would almost call it chandelier-esque. It's more satellite than chandelier. But I've been admiring that one for like six years at the Lowe's. And you have, did you select that lightning fixture? I did not, 
it was here when you got here? Yeah. yeah, I've been enjoying one, just not willing to pull the trigger on it. And I was so surprised when I walked in the door. Like That's how high I am. Yeah, so. the, the fact that Rich is waxing poetically about the chandelier, <laughs> that tells you something. Of when the light where goes on, at. I don't know what I'm going to do. Yes. So the <laughs> big giant thank you to Onnit. Onnit has been so damn awesome to us. Uh, Rich today gets to take home some of the goodies that he placed the order brain for. instant. I'm telling you. Alphabrain Instant is amazing. And they have so much other good stuff. So again, I don't want to bug you guys with too many plugs. Just check it out. Even if you do nothing, you know, you never written a Drunken Taoist review, never donated, never anything. Check out on the product, onnit.com forward slash Taoist. Check out all the websites we're recommending. Take five minutes and click around. These folks are helping us bring this to you including our good friends at Sure Design T-shirts. Most definitely. The, the ghost of Bennett continues in the world. Yeah, those guys are great. You know, some of his guys took over the operations. They do lots of great things for people in Thailand. They make this amazing T-shirt. I had actually the other day on Instagram, some lady started saying, you make the best T-shirts ever. And I realized I, you're not really talking. She thought I was the owner of Shore Design or something. Out out in out in the barn with some I didn't have the heart to tell her that wasn't the case. So oh, there's no reason. Kept... Don't shatter these no, things. No, this exactly. woman, so imagine what would happen if she had gone home without enough alpha brain to deal with that. That would have been sad. So, sure design t-shirts, incredible. And it's not just t-shirts, man. It's dresses, pants, everything. All sorts of... If you need to put an MC Hammer look together, they can make <laughs> that the happen go, for you. Right? But they can do t-shirts too with onks and all sorts of Ganeshes, all sorts of nifty friends Hippie from the alternate, alternate uh, thought yes. processors of the world that must be dealt with immediately. Indeed, the hippie paradise. We got grasslandbeef.com. <sighs> Rich is about to eat some because that also came in. So products are in the freezer for you. We barely survived a blackout the other day, uh, but they are still good. So City life. It's there. Chiva.org, sure. $145,000 in loans from your fellow listeners. Come join us. $25 a month. You can help somebody buy a cow. You can help somebody in the United States, or you can help them around the world. I think I think I've... Loans in 70 countries now. That's And the payback rate is above 97%. And it's worth a try. And it's a great way to help people out. And, you know, 212 of your fellow listeners have got us to that incredible number. And we invite you to join us. Team Drunken Dallas, Kiva.org. Help a stranger. Beautiful. And uh, last but not least, shout out to NeverTapGear.com with the glorious Tomoy and Rush Guard, with knee braces for when you work out and you don't want to pop your joints. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu Journal, which is a great product. At some point, I should talk about it a little more in depth because it's a pretty cool thing. More things will be coming up. Check them out. They are awesome and they support Savannah, so I like them. I like them too. All right, so it's going to be interview time. Abdullah Syed is with us. I had no idea how famous this guy before I got here. I'm so tickled. The fact you're on high maintenance just fills me with joy, man. It is literally my favorite thing on television. It's this moment we all need away from everything. All right, we'll get back to the introduction. You can tell I'm high. Did we actually finish the introduction? Uh, we were going into the let's outro. Let's give the, he's the name of his podcast. Co-host of Great Moments in, in, in Weed History. And um, that's what we're going to go do right now. Let's do that. No more smoking during the show. <laughs>
So, let's go play. Abdullah, welcome to the Drunken Taoist. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, let's start first on a weird tangent. Before we start recording, you are telling me you grew up in Thailand. Do yeah, tell. that's right. Yeah. How's that? Thailand is one of those places that... If you can believe it, I've never been not only to Thailand, I haven't been to Asia, period. And um, and I, if there's one place that I want to go, okay, let's make it two. Two places that I want to go will be Thailand and Japan. Oh, yeah. Those are two that I'm really intrigued with. Those so, are good ones. Do tell. Yeah. So <clears throat> I've spent, I've had the fortune of spending some time in both places, actually. Uh, Japan, I was there for four months. I did my semester abroad there in college. It was very... Uh, you know, eye-opening experience for me. Uh, and then, so I am Pakistani, ethnically. Mm -hmm. I was born in the United States, but before I was one, my whole family moved to Thailand, and I lived in Thailand until I was 13. So my father is a university professor, and he initially was teaching in the U.S. I was born in New Hampshire. And then uh, he was teaching at an English-speaking university in Thailand, just outside of Bangkok. And this is kind of a crazy place for people to imagine. So in the 80s and 90s, there is this little campus, right? Essentially, it functions like a town. Right. And it's all faculty and students. It's very, very diverse. There's people from all over Asia and to a slightly lesser extent from Africa, from Europe, from North and South America, mostly Asia, but literally people from everywhere Every in the world. It, right. And everyone rides a bicycle in this town, right? Uh, and everyone speaks English in this town. And this place exists somewhere else. Like, that's where I grew up. Um, and I grew up on a street that was very, very diverse. It was all the faculty at the university. So we were a Pakistani family. Across the street, there was a half Canadian, half Filipino family. Next to us, there was a German family and a Belgian family, Nepalis, Indians, uh, more Pakistanis. There was... Everybody. Uh, and I lived there and went to school first on that campus and then at a place that was very far away from the campus. It, it took me like an hour and a half, two hours to get to school every day and then come home as well. On bicycle? Uh, no, that we took a <laughs> minivan. We took your classic third world country minivan. It's got frilly curtains in the windows. Right. It's got like a tiny VCR, and tiny TV. You've probably seen something like a case this. of chickens on the roof, maybe. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and yeah, I lived there. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was 13. So I left with my mom and went back to the U.S. My whole mom's side of the family uh, is in the New York area. So we lived there. I went to high school in New Jersey. And I moved to Philadelphia for college. I lived there for like nine years or so. What was the high school like leaving one I'm expecting was probably pretty incredible. And were you in a public school at that point in New yeah. Jersey? Was yeah. the drop off precipitous? Uh, so it was a, an adjustment for sure. It was kind of difficult. Uh, you know, there's a lot of cultural differences in America, there's a lot of cultural rules that people don't really realize unless uh -huh. you come from another country. Like learning is stupid and being smart is yucky. And wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, dude. I was it, kind of getting that feeling that that might be part of what you ran into. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely in other parts of the world. And actually, it's funny to think about this now because it kind of says something about American culture and the way it stands in the world today. Yeah. In most places in the world, when you're in school, it's considered good and positive and cool from the perspective of everyone 
that you try hard and that you succeed and that you are, you know, like, yeah, what a concept that you should care Uh about your studies. Um, And when I came to to the U.S., I realized that uh, to be smart was not cool and to be bad was actually the coolest Mm -hmm. thing. And prom's important, too. What's that? Prom. It's important, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Prom is important as well. Yeah, I guess I was not as enthusiastic about that kind of conventional stuff. Um, you know, I, I was a punk kid in high school. I was uh-huh. really into punk music. And then I was also listening to like, you know, experimental British electronic music. I was really into music for a lot of that time. And that was kind of how I coped with it. Um, I don't look back at high school fondly. I'm few people do. <laughs> yeah, few <laughs> smart people do. Yes, <laughs> that's usually not the highlight. But yeah. but it's trippy, man, because, yeah, 13 years in Thailand. Well, your experience of Thailand, I guess, is different because it's not just standard Thailand. It's yeah. like this very weird uh, ethnically and culturally mixed kind of setup. Yeah. Speaking English, too, because so you, you didn't speak Thai over there you because everybody spoke English around you kind of thing. Yeah, I spoke very little Thai. Right. Uh, I could get by. I still can pronounce the food and you know i'm right. definitely very into thai food and i can i can talk uh about it in thai a little bit but yeah i speak urdu right. my family's language and uh i speak english and that's it all the thai is gone so now in la when i go to thai restaurants i'll like order in thai and i'll pronounce things correctly which is pretty difficult in thai but i'm just used to saying sure, it that way and they're always like I'm such a mystery to every Thai waitress I deal with. <laughs> they're like, yeah, they're like this the brown kid. Right. It's like, and they're like, do it. you speak Thai? And I'm like, yeah. no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so and then you leave it at that. You don't explain yeah. any further. You know, like, I don't because right. it's it's so much to explain. Yeah, and yeah, I'm like, well, I lived there when I was 13, but I lived in yeah. a specific place, so I didn't learn Thai. Uh, so I just leave it at that. What yeah. was the feel of living there? Like, what's the culture like in your experience? Yeah, you know, there's things I really appreciate about Thai culture. There's a a relaxed nature to Thai people. Um, they're they're very clean people. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Thailand is in in general like always uh, for being a developing country. Sure. You know, I, I definitely marveled at the, the fact that it is, a, you know, it, it's a very clean and kind of organized place. Um, and then a, a thing that strikes me now is uh, the way that they approach gender mm-hmm. in that in Thailand, you would see uh, trans people um, and, you, you know, you would see transgender people. And it was accepted for the most part. It was an accepted part of culture. You know, no one would call uh a cisgender man out for wearing a dress in public, yeah, uh, you know, right. in various places, that's okay. And I found it interesting that in the United States in the last few years, there's this big discussion and people are, you know, there's all this confusion. It's like, oh my God, you're this gender, but you wear these clothes. Yeah. And I, I don't think that those like rigid rules for what kind of cloth you put on your body, uh, it seems like a really arbitrary thing. I, I don't think those rules exist as strongly in in other cultures like Thai like, culture. Yeah, I find it fascinating how people seem to be weirdly obsessed with the topic. Yeah. Not because I don't even have a particular stance. I, I really just don't give a fuck. Yeah. It's like, 
I don't care. How does that affect me? You know, yeah, it's exactly. Like, Someone's I, choice, you know, I don't give a fuck whether how you dress. Like, I, yeah. I'm not that interested. It's like I will be interested if I want to sleep with you. I kind of want to know if you are a man or a woman or sure. that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's like, but that's about the only scenario in which I'm vaguely interested. Otherwise, sure. do I care? <laughs> it's like unless it's going down sexually for me. Right. And that's your, I have, your specific preference. Yeah, exactly. And in the situation, someone else might be like, I want it to be a surprise. Who, who knows? You know totally, what I mean? Totally. the crying game music comes in the right, background. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, like for, like, that's the thing. It's like for me, other than if, in, and in, even in that case, like take uh, all women on earth. Like I'm, I'm not attracted to 100% of guys, but I'm also not attracted to like 98% of women. So it's like there's a, those few people that I really click with that I'm attracted to. Yeah, Then I'm interested. Everybody else to me is the same thing. Yeah, you know, it's like, I don't care. They're it's walking like, around doing their thing. And whatever. whatever. Like yeah. it doesn't affect... I mean, this is such a big thing about blasphemy. You know, yeah, blasphemy, right? <laughs> what are you guys creating here? <laughs> a tolerant society that lets people be what they want to be? <laughs> we can't man. have any of that. What the <laughs> fuck's going on? It's funny you mentioned your little neighborhood in Thailand. I had the crazy uh, one year. It was our favorite year. I was an army brat. My dad was an officer who went to Vietnam and just kept on keeping on because it was like all he really could do after that. You know? Oh, no kidding. And um, but he was. Great commander, good leader, everything you would hope to be. And growing up in the military, they often say, uh, there's no only, only color in the army, sun is green. And we really sort of experienced that. Mm -hmm. But to go, I think, from captain to lieutenant colonel or, or major, I can't remember exactly what it is, you have to go to command college. So somewhere next to Fort Leavenworth in Kansas is a command college. And we had the same thing because we had... Kenyan folks and you know there are 35 different nations yeah all putting these little cul-de-sacs because they would be in teams and we spent the whole year just being kind of like you had everybody spoke English yeah. but there was like a neighborhood of the whole world it's surrounding us and it was such a great way to be it really is a beautiful thing and I, I've spoken to to several people in my life who you know we compare experiences because having the military upbringing is very similar to what i had where you're from one country you're in another country you might move around a little bit of course there's a lot of you know uh transit within that like sure. in 13 years you might have lived in several places sure, right? of course and it really it does uh tune a person to be more tolerant i mean this is a thing that we know yeah. Whether you're in middle America or in the middle of any country in the world where people, a place where people don't see people who don't look like them. Right. I mean, they're going to form a, a different mentality when it comes to the outside world. Yep. You know? and, and that's it, a terrible thing. Yeah. Especially when it starts to take control. Yeah, exactly. Which is terrifying right now. I've been saying for years, you know, the exchange student programs are one thing. but I don't know why we don't do it between Alabama and Southern California. Because if I could get Skeeter out here to meet some of the Consuela, yeah. minds would be changed on epic levels and they would go back yeah. and tell their grandfather to go fuck himself in his horrible ways. And yeah. they're young enough, 15 years old is young enough to be like, oh, maybe I'm thinking about this all wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, 25 is not. Yeah. And, and hell, the other way around, too, because, you know, there's certainly in the, you know, liberal coastal enclave of America. Yeah. We definitely stereotype people sure. in other parts of the country. Of course. You know, I, I've resisted driving across the country for so long because I'm like, oh, they hate Muslims everywhere. Yeah. They want to kill us everywhere. And, you know, I did this show for Vice called Vice as America where we like did a cross country road trip. And I would we would pull up somewhere in the middle of freaking nowhere. nowhere. I'd get out of the thing at a gas station and be like, oh, my God, 
I'm going to go piss quick and get back in because I yeah. don't want to get killed. And I walk into the mart at the gas station and who's sitting behind the counter? Skeeter. My fucking cousin. Oh, even <laughs> from Pakistan. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah, Not yeah. just yeah. Skeeter. Like a brown dude who's yeah. there every day of his life. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I was kind of hoping you were going to say that it was some uh, cracker with a with a trucker hat. It's like, how's it going, friend? <laughs> you did run into that as well. At least a little bit, didn't you? Yeah, definitely. And in fact, you know, there was people that I would have felt scared of uh -huh. who were very kind and helpful. People that I broke down with. People that I made friends with, that sure. I ate with and drank with. And it, it was, you know, like I did another shoot for Vice in Siberia and we were in rural Russia. Ooh. And, you know, Americans think that, you know, okay, we have a weird relationship with Russia. For Russians, like a lot of them haven't forgotten the Cold War. I mean, there's still this mentality of disliking Americans. And, you know, this is a funny thing. When I went there, I was like, oh, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell them I'm Muslim because maybe they'll, yeah. they'll be racist against me because I'm Muslim. So the first few people, I was like, I'm from the United States. And they were like, what? Like, no. <laughs> and finally, they're like, where are you really from? And I'm like, Pakistan. They're like, hey, assalamu alaikum. What's up, bro? <laughs> like, they're totally fine with Muslims. They hate Americans. <laughs> that's the specific right. thing that they don't want to fuck with. It's all in the training. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that you realize that uh, that's why the stereotyping becomes silly. Because what you realize is that it's lack of the draw you run into. You mm -hmm. may run into the guy with like the textbook stereotype of the racist freak who hates this one group or happens to hate this other group, but has no problem with this one. Or you basically don't know. You're going to run into a bunch of individuals and each one is going to be different, some in very pleasant way, some in very unpleasant mm -hmm. way. And it's, you know, while, of course, as you said, there are certain cultural characteristics that are more likely to run into in certain places, yeah. by no means it's uh, deterministic. Like, oh, yes. you are in Thailand, that means everybody's going to be this way, or you're in Alabama, no. everybody's... It's not, you know, you're yeah. going to find a the bunch of The true haters will find a way to hate on you, though. Sure, I mean, of we course. Went, we went to Oregon for the eclipse a couple of years ago, yeah. so we were like central Oregon and I had no idea what rural Oregon was like. Uh, and since we weren't dominionist Christians, even we were questionable. Yeah, the yeah, white people rolling in. Right, 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 right. They hate everybody equally. Wow, yeah. no shit. This is like wild, wild country. Yeah. I didn't, <laughs> that's, what, that's, yep. what the, that's what the Don't Tread On Me flag is in Oregon. Right. It is mm. the rebel flag of Oregon. No shit. Mind-blowingly. Because I used to like that flag. I thought it was a cool flag, Don't Tread On Me. Yeah. It has been co-opted. Whoa. Yeah, okay. one of the things that's tripping that scenario, like you mentioned uh, doing road trips, well, not just in US, even the Siberia thing, but like that's something that really changes your perception of reality. You know, when you take uh, a big, long trip, you just get on the road and start driving and you're there for days and you run. And half of the time you do realize that, you know, the big city life, there's a shitload of people who have no idea what the big city looks like. Yeah. They are in that little town with 3,000 people. The closest mm -hmm. town is 20 miles away, and there's mm. another 3,000 people, and they're like, there's nobody around. Lightning right? bugs and elbow room. Yeah. And, and in some cases, the prejudice is not even out of being mean. It's like literally, it's like they've never seen anyone who oh, looks yeah. like no you experience. before. It's, and they're like, it's a lack of understanding. This is really funny. My mom lives in upstate New York, right? Uh, and and she has lots of coworkers and friends who have lived about three hours from New York City 
what mm. some people say is the greatest city in the world, right? Never went. Uh, and they've never been. Yeah, yeah. And or they went once, and they're proud of it. They're yeah. like, I've never been down to New York City. And if you get into upstate New York, it's very rural. It's very sure. conservative. Yeah. You know, if you look at the district maps of, of New of York course. State, it's wild up there. And it, it is like, you know, it's so weird that. Uh, the, the wall that's built because I'm sure that there's people in New York City I I know it because I know these yeah. people who are like I'm never going to fucking upstate New York I've never left nothing the out there for me of course yeah, <laughs> exactly and it, it, it's it's strange that people so geographically close to each other don't want to understand each other you know but is that the biggest question is that they don't want it or they're being led to believe they don't want it because those yeah. in charge don't want it you get people to start yeah. swirling and mixing. I mean, one of the favorite craziest things is that Martin Luther King didn't get shot till he started bringing the white and the black trash men together. Oh. And he was bringing the poor people together. Right. And that's exactly... Now it's time to go. This is a... a I remember hearing this anecdote from my cousin who's politically much wiser than I am. But, you know, the, the, the greatest feat of uh, modern conservatism, the right wing, whatever you want to call it, is convincing poor white people that they have more in common with rich white people than they do with poor black people, right? Which is insanity. Yeah, which is crazy because poor is the operative yeah. word there when it comes to your actual lifestyle. Well, I think in that sense, even, uh, even historically, like when you look at, you know, British colony, early 1600s, late 1600s, around that time, you had white indentured servants and you had African slaves sharing the same quarter, right. being fucked over the same way, essentially, because, you know, being an indentured servant, the only advantage you had is that theoretically was temporary, except you would probably die long before that time was up because right. you got worked to death. So you're sharing the same life. And of course, you have a lot in common. There are intermarriages. There's all of that because you are... But from the point of view, if you are the one slave owner over 30 guys, white and black, who will hate you, of course, mm -hmm. that's not a good math. And you yeah, have to right. change that. And so what do we do <laughs> is like, no, 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 you guys don't get it. The 15 of you are white. You are with me. Right. And uh, divide and that, conquer. It's classic divide and conquer. Yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. you do it by Work throwing. In Rwanda. Yeah. Right, you, right. you throw a bone to one side to up their level a little so that it creates jealousy with the other side. Yeah. You put some legal boundaries between them so that it makes it harder to intertwine. Yeah. You get to teach like, yeah, your life kind of sucks. You are poor, but you're superior because you are white to yeah. those fucking guys over there. Yeah. And maybe you start feeling, hey, at least I have something to be proud of. At least there's something. And yeah. then the other guys hate you and then rightfully so. And then it goes back and forth. And it's like, yeah. it's perfect. It's like if you are, if you write the manual for how to screw over people while not having a numerical superiority, yeah. that's how you do it, right? Oh, that's it's, exactly how you run the game. Mm -hmm. it's, it's pure psychology. And I, I think that it's something that has always been very apparent to me because I came to America at age 13. Like, Daniele, how old were you when you first came to America? 18. Okay, gotcha. Right. So, you know, you're a young man, right? Yeah. You start to see these patterns, right, that are confounding, that they don't make sense, right? Because, like, in Thailand, if I said, oh, why do they, uh, you know, prepare the soup this way? They're like, well, they've done that for hundreds and thousands of years, Right. In America, our religion only roots as deep, our cultural religion meaning, only roots 
as deep as the history of the country, right? And essentially, like, America initially was founded as, like, a tax haven for, like, you know, a bunch of people who, like, didn't want to deal with it anymore, whatever, right? Um, and, and now we're, <laughs> And like, then they got slaves. Yeah, yeah, essentially. And then that's how, the you know, it was like, oh, well, if you're willing to, uh, you know, sacrifice all cultural tradition and morality for the sake of immediate success, I mean... In the short term, it looks great. And at sure. the time, you know, you have the world populations growing. You have people who want the opportunity. Like, you know, it, we're starting to first really see the impact of, like, limited resources and how population growth can, can really kind of, like, fuck shit up, right? And then everybody shows up, and then they start having this party. And it's like, it's like it's good. You know what I mean? It's it, this, this flying machine works, you know, in, in a way. But then, obviously, you, you see what happens in the long term. I mean, I, I have a feeling that there's probably been so many societies throughout human history like America where that were short-lived because they were purely capitalistic and not culturally, culturally rooted in some sense. Have you read the Carl Sagan quote that's pretty much describing exactly what's happening right now with the hollowing out and the people following the false prophets? And What's the quote? It's yeah. a big paragraph. Oh, it's a long one. Okay. I'll, it's from the, the demon-controlled world. I'll look it up. But anyway, yeah. uh, I'll have it so we can post it. Perfect. So, it's too much to read. So incidentally, uh, on Great Moments in Weed History, we did an episode about Carl Sagan and Dr. Lester Grinspoon. So did you know that Carl Sagan was a massive pothead? <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, in fact, and he was, uh, he went by the pseudonym Mr. X uh, in, in the documentation by uh, Lester Grinspoon. Uh, and he was like, so basically Lester Grinspoon wrote about this guy, Mr. X, you know, consuming cannabis. And it was, it was Carl Sagan. That's Carl funny. Sagan was like a fucking acid head. You know, that's what tells me that Neil deGrasse Tyson is definitely a weed head. I feel like he can't for his public persona, like reveal that, but he's pro cannabis. He's talked about cannabis in Cosmos and on his, you know, other shit. Uh, and come on, look at that guy. He's a stoner. He does. A look at his, just a vest alone. He does yeah. seem crankier, though, than Sagan. You know, whereas Sagan is moments, more... Man, that's for sure. So I don't know what weed he's smoking, but he's not helping his... <laughs> uh... His publicist will allow because he won't get drifty too deep in the Yeah. Tree. Go think yeah. about Black Hole some more. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> Sagan is more like, la, la, happy philosopher well, thing. I, I must right. immediately drop in at this moment, especially with such cool gentlemen around me, that... Uh, I do volunteer for the Planetary Society, which Carl Sagan started. Ah. And we do star party at the Griffith Observatory once a month. Come on up. There'll be 30, 40, 50 telescopes up there for anybody to look through. I'm, I'm down. It's my favorite thing to do. I'm absolutely down. My girlfriend and I will definitely come and do that. This well, is then, like, I would like to continue that conversation when we're standing there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. I, let's the let's world go needs look at about the this because fucking stars. As, you know, talk about Carl Sagan. I have a notion for the world that, that there are enough good people that like eating each other each other's pasoli and trying all the crazy stuff. Yeah. And, you know, you'll never get to be a part, but you can definitely hang out. That's, we can do that. Yeah, I've yeah, met yeah. enough people in this country that live that way and can handle it. They just need to be shown the way. Yeah, yeah. The barn raisers is what we need to be. We need to be on each other's side. And when the bad moments home comes and your barn burns down, well, we'll be about a couple of weeks to help you put one up because yeah. it will be our turn eventually. We've lost control. It's like everybody's so desperate to win the fucking lottery. Yeah. Because that's my way out. 
or if you get a football, because that's your way out. And that's sure. all they offer you. Mm-hmm. We don't have to exist that way anymore. Yeah. We have shown good examples. And that's why I love L.A., man. It, everybody is here. It's yeah. far from perfect. But it's working. Yeah. I, I love it here. I, I've lived here two and a half years now. It's addictive. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's just, uh, you know, in a weird way, I would describe... L.A. as palliative compared to New York, which I felt was like an addiction in that I felt like I needed to do it. And I I think it took more out of me. No, no. You know what? I really was able to move my career forward in New York. But on a personal level, uh, it was like destroying me from the inside. Intense, which is funny because L.A. is already intense so by yeah. comparison that tells you how wild new york can get because <laughs> yeah. uh, la is like go 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 and, yeah. and it does feel more relaxed than new york yeah but by objective standard it's not relaxed <laughs> you know it's still oh, yeah no but the weather it makes a difference yeah that's, yeah. that's, that's for sure the old boss lerman quote from it was a song at some point but he said live in new york but leave before it makes you hard and live in la but leave before it makes you soft ah that's interesting yeah. yeah, the weather helps a bunch. That's oh, why it uh, tends to affect. Today's yeah. brutal February forecast oh, is it's 68. gorgeous right. out. A little oh breeze. <laughs> Not a bad gig. Huh? The sky's yeah. clear from the rains. Oh, yeah, man. the other day was like, uh, at night, it was like in the 40s because it was really, oh. and I was like, oh my God, it's so cold. Oh, in in the meantime, everyone yeah. else in Minnesota so is like dreaming of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember after like it being 40 below, 28 below in Nashville for a few days, yeah. my mm-hmm. wife ventured outside to have a cigarette back in the day and everything was frozen we just crunched around yep. but it was like 23 that day and you're like yeah. oh thank jesus i can't yeah. believe it it's, now it's warm yeah it's warm here yeah. 38 in yeah. oxnard the other day people were like oh get the parkas yeah i remember hearing this story this it sort of this encapsulates how i feel about la that there was a a dude with like migraines, you know, and it was just like had migraines all the time and it was a fucking pain in the ass. I, I get tension headaches and migraines. It mm-hmm. drives me nuts. I do a lot of things in my life to prevent headaches. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like a lot of my lifestyle is just like just preventing my headaches. And apparently like this dude got like Botox injections in the back of his head or something, right? To like uh, to fix them. And then over the next couple of weeks, he was like, you know, feeling different he went to his doctor and was like doctor i feel like euphoria all the time i just feel like i'm fucking high on drugs i'm walking around like i'm just like stoked on everything i feel like food tastes better and colors are brighter he's like what's going (laughs) on you know am i like am i losing my mind did this shit fuck up my brain he goes no you you're you haven't had a headache for the first time in your fucking life. Right. Wow. That's why you feel good. Is like you're literally just experiencing normal. Normal is <laughs> paradise, <laughs> of course. No, that, yeah. yeah, when you are miserable, it doesn't take long, uh, you know. Oh, if I could have a little normal right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That sometimes is badly, badly needed. When you yeah. wake up and it's neutral. You don't feel like you have 10,000 pounds of shit laying on your chest. You don't feel that you are in this misery. Just you wake up and it's like, look at that. Sky is above, earth is below me. Yeah. Let's get some breakfast. Let's get going. Yeah, exactly. And and that's a miracle. Is uh, that's is. where like the whole Zen idea of the miracle of, or the ordinary kicks in, right? Uh-huh. Where it's like you just look at ordinary reality and you're like, mm. 
this is fucking amazing. Sweeping this the porch is, a little uh, bit, cleaning it up, making it nice. That's that's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, pretty good for everybody else to explore. Well, speaking of things you do for to avoid your headaches and uh, part of your career and lifestyle and stuff, tell me about weed. All uh, right, we'll get to uh, your work. Uh, Just originally, how was uh, your kind of first introduction to weed oh, on a, a personal level? Yeah. So when I was a child, we would go to Pakistan to visit our grandparents. And in Pakistan, weed just grows everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, it's literally just if there's an empty lot, there's weed growing right on every inch of it. There's a crack in the sidewalk. There's weed going right. out of it, right? So like that was the first time I saw it. I remember my older brother pointed it out to me and he was like, That's marijuana. You know what I mean? Was it marijuana? Like, was it just hemp? It was. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was wild hemp, but in that part of the world, like you can make finger hash out of that. It's, it's totally psychoactive. Nice. Uh, and, it, you know, hash, hash is what's locally yeah. smoked. Um, so, Why you know, do you think, by the way? Because, I mean, it seems like a complicated storage? process to yeah. get to. Is so, it storage? So, yeah, it's hash, it's it, takes like. Takes less space. Yeah, like, so basically, you know, here in America, we have, uh, you know, like weed farms where cannabis is specifically cultivated. The females are separated uh, to yield, like, the most resinous, largest sure. buds or whatever. But when you have wild cannabis, you have, like, lower amounts of THC, right? And actually probably a, a better balance of cannabinoids sure. in general because it's not bred up to have any particular cannabinoid like we do here. Um, so it, it essentially, uh, you know, it's just easier to harvest hash this way, right? And it's kind of like uh, more convenient to transport a sure. bunch of the psychoactive material. And that's really, you know, even uh, today, you know, we see like the popularity of hash Um, there's definitely something to it. I think that absent the plant fiber, you know, you can kind of more directly enjoy the, the, the chemical compounds or, you know, directly benefit from the chemical, chemical compounds. Yeah. Growing up in Italy, I remember weed was very rare. Like you right. wouldn't find uh, weed weed. You would find ashish everywhere. Right. And What did it look was, like? Uh, it was, uh, depends, you know, there were all the different colors. There's the yellow from morocco and there's yeah. red from lebanon there's uh, old uh, uh -huh. but yeah there was a bunch of and you know it was mostly north africa middle east imported in yeah. and uh but it was ashish and yeah the color changed dramatically from one to the other right it could just be pitch black flat out yellow red wow. everything in between and it changed the quality and, but yeah to see an actual bud to see leaves to see, that was Pretty rare. Yeah. That's not a thing. You would see ashish everywhere. That's so interesting. Um, when, when when I was a, a youngster, I survived the, the pot famine, and, uh, famine of 92-93. I've heard about this. There was none available. Why? What happened? It just was not. You know, who knows? I blame the DEA, of course. But yeah. there was none available. Mm -hmm. And I was in Nashville, which, talk about the complete opposite. Not, it's like eradication forces with the state government rolling around, conveniently announced... In the springtime before planting, mm. we're going to do these three counties so everybody move their shit out of the of county. Of course. Right, yeah. But, you know, so it was all obvious in the end because sheriffs would be found helping people run huge amounts. The whole Everybody was in on it. They yeah, still yeah. make it so illegal. So illegal. Of course, of course. That's Two joints the, uh, in Nashville. Everybody in the car can go to jail if they want you to. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. That's crazy. Can Just, you imagine even driving through there? There's so many places... Uh, in the u.s where you can still get into a lot of fucking trouble oh yeah for weed man it's, absolutely it, it's it's pretty crazy 
And it's also, it's just weird to me that we exist in this time where, you know, the the laws at every level disagree so much. I mean, yeah. if you're in a county in California, you're dealing with your county ordinances. You, you might be dealing with your city and town ordinances. Sure. You're definitely dealing with the state. And if the federal government wants to, they There's literally layer, just, come right. on in. Yeah, yep. They could roll in and, and do go. whatever they want. And they have, they're within their rights to do that. Uh, because there's federal laws. Yeah, there's no rhyme or reason to the whole thing. There's not even an effort to yeah. make it. I mean, it's kind of the same thing of like when people stopped enforcing them, but they were like laws in a bunch of states against things like oral sex. Yeah, now, nobody's right. really gonna enforce Sodomy, it mostly, yeah. except if they really wanna. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah. so. It's, it's one of the it's things there in that case you stumble by and they need something. Yeah, yeah. I know what we'll get this son of a bitch for. That's exactly oh, yeah. it. And you know, uh, cannabis has long been uh, an instrument uh, of probable cause. You know, like yeah, of that's it's. You can say you know in in New York, uh, that one of the reasons to search somebody was appears to have recently extinguished a marijuana cigarette. Right. You know, literally like. Anyone can look like they recently extinguished. Yeah, like, what does that mean? Yeah, right. it, it's that is ludicrous. Like to say that, oh, you look like you look like you were just, I don't know, eating a sandwich. You could say like, that about my driver's license. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have a grateful dead sticker on your car. I yeah. think that's probable cause right there. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, and more often than not, it's, uh, you know, like in a place like New York City, a place like L.A., it's a way to oppress people of color sure. you know what i mean it's to be like oh okay well i mean we have the prison population to prove it yeah. well, I, I saw this i saw the stats on iowa the other day it's like 90 something percent white but the yeah. prison population's over 20 percent black yeah yeah of course wow that's a classic i may be off on that a little bit but not by much it no, might no, be that's 30 yeah. i'm not willing to Holy say that right shit, now. shit that's fucked it up. blew my whole head wide open no no that's time for a trip classic. to iowa absolutely that's you had about that shit for a minute yeah yeah you got all of that stuff you got like native populations that are maybe four percent at most in the states and they're like 20 in the prison it's Normal. There's something no, sort of crazy. It's almost like a color scheme. I can't quite put my finger on it though. Yeah, and that you know that that definitely is. It drives a part of my interest in cannabis. For sure. But yeah, so we got sidetracked. So you you are in Pakistan. You are yeah. exposed to it. Oh, it's yeah. everywhere, but you're <laughs> yeah. not trying it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was too young to try it, and you know, also in Thailand, I mean, there was definitely weed existed. Uh, but I, I, when I was 13, I was like, you know, not so savvy. And then I moved to the United States uh, and, you know, I went to like three, four different schools within a few years. Uh -huh. You know, I was like first with my mom and then, uh, you know, my, my dad moved to the U.S. I had lived with him for a little. It was like, you know, back and forth. And I was fucking bored. You know, there was like I was 14 years old, 15 years old, and I had no fucking friends. You know, I like didn't know anybody in the places I was moving to. And, you know, all I had was, like, the Columbia CD Club, you know, and I would order, like, 13. 12 CDs. And, you know, I was very <laughs> into music. I had my drums, you know. Uh, but, yeah, basically, uh, you know, I was looking for something to entertain me. And like I like to say, you know, to, I thought of weed as something that makes other things entertaining or it's entertainment in itself. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I was eager to try it and I bought some from a kid at school and I smoked it once, twice, and it didn't really seem to do anything. 
And then the third time, I got very high, and I fucking loved it. I've never looked back, frankly. I, you know, like uh, ever since that, I I was a very cannabis enthusiastic teenager. Mm-hmm. I was that kid, man. I was I was the kid who always wanted to smoke, and I was like really into it. Uh, you know, then when I went away to college, I gravitated towards kid, kids who were potheads, and you know, like. I think that's one of the things that cannabis does for you is it finds you a cohort, mm-hmm. you know, it, like it, it, it bonds you to other people. It introduces um, you to the tribe. Yeah. And you know, that then I, I became a journalist, uh, a music journalist, like in, independently. I wrote about food initially, mm-hmm. uh, music, food and nightlife stuff. And then I ended up working for MTV. Then I was at Vice. And, you know, I was writing about music and music journalism is a weird uh, you know, craft. I did it for a long time. I got to interview some heroes of mine, DJ Shadow and LP from Run the Jewels. Uh, most people know him. Uh, and uh, like Death Grips and like all these really dope, like, you know, uh, kind of uh, niche musical acts that I got to like spend time with. But writing about that stuff, it was fun. But I felt spent on it, and I didn't know what else to, you know, uh, write about. I wanted something to inspire me. Mm-hmm. You know, I had written about food before, and it really inspired me. Writing about music, writing about music is like dancing about architecture, right? Frank Zappa, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I think really holds true. And, um, you know, this whole time I'm smoking weed, fucking constantly. I'm still this kid, and suddenly, you know, it 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 just kind of all clicked. When I realized that the thing that inspires me was in my hand the whole time, you know, and the, the history of cannabis, the uh, the science of cannabis, the culture in America right now around cannabis, the many, 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 many countless sure. cultures around cannabis throughout history, different societies, different worlds. It's endless. Uh, and, and it's really fascinating. There's I learn more every day. The unfolding politics just here in L.A., like that's what I'm reporting uh, for KCRW about. It's fascinating. When it comes to the history, um, at some point I badly want to do a history on fire on, uh, you know, weed history. You know who to call. (laughs) If only a podcast like that existed. Yeah, well, beside (laughs) listening to exactly everything that you have produced in that regard. um, what, What do you think are like some of the best books on the topic? Hmm. Uh, so the the emperor wears no clothes. That's a classic, uh, right? Yeah, uh, Jack Hare. There's a book called uh, "Hemp: The First Thousand Years." I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I heard that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've definitely pulled quotes from that and stuff, and, and things that I've written. It's on Google Books, which oh, is wow. a great resource. Cool. Uh, and I, I, the name is like it's something like "Hemp: The First Thousand Years." Yeah, I if have a big memory. Yeah, of the that. first ten thousand years, because it is you know cannabis has a very very long history. Um, yeah, so other books that I've read specifically, I mean th- those two are probably good ones to start. I, it, like that. Well, oh, Botany of Desire is definitely has a very informative section on cannabis as well. Um, and then there's, uh, yeah, there's a company called Green Candy Press, which has sent me many informative and educational books about cannabis. But yeah, specifically cannabis history, uh, it really is in many ways tied to every phase of modern civilized human history, right? It, it, every phase of civilization. In it was that, there when agriculture turned on? Yeah, it was 
one of the first cultivated crops, right, was hemp. Uh, I mean, it was instrumental in the development of Chinese medicine. It was instrumental in the development of the belief system around Hinduism. And, uh, you know, it was traded on the Silk Road. It was brought to North Africa and to Europe. In Europe, in the colder climates, it returned to its more fibrous form, hemp. And, uh, you know, it was used by the, uh, you know, kingdoms there to make sails and rope and to, and to, you know, to foster fleets that ended up conquering the world. A lot of people, you know, when you look at history, it's it's kind of crazy that uh, this really small group of kingdoms in this corner of the world, like, you know, not really uh, bordering much else were able to conquer the entire fucking world. Well, hemp was instrumental in that, you know, and they carried it everywhere. Cortez brought it with mm-hmm. him uh, when he came to the Americas and then it found a new home. Get this shit in the ground quick. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it returned to its more... Uh, what you do know? you think where the, when you said about sort of first uses, like way back as one of the first crops, uh, yeah. what do you think were the primary uses for it at the time? Like yeah. Why were people domesticated hemp? among right. the first thing they pick up. So essentially the a primary reason I would say is that it just grows sure. like a weed. It won't stop growing. Yep. You know what I mean? Like I said in We got to do something with this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, you and know, the it, stems are good. Uh-huh. There's lots of reasons, lots of oil. Yeah, like close to its origin, you know, it's it just grows everywhere, right? And secondly, so the uh hemp seed, right? It contains all the essential amino acids it has omega-3 fatty acids right it's a very nutritious meal uh you know you can make hemp meal now you know you see in supermarkets people are buying hemp so it's a nutritious food it's easy to grow right um you can use the fibers to make clothes you can use the fibers for any number of things right uh so it's very very useful and and you know that initial reason right all those reasons like the, the reasons that people were growing it I mean, it kind of uh, rhymes with the reason that it was prohibited because it's so useful that it challenged the industries around all these other things, uh, you know, that uh, mainly uh, petroleum and petroleum derivatives, right? Pharmaceuticals. Yeah, pharmaceuticals. Exactly. There is many, many industries, the paper industry at the time. I mean, so let me ask you something about that Um, because you're right. Uh, the question, though, the logical one from their point of view, from the big industries would be, why don't you just seize it? You know, you take rather than trying to squash what could be a possible rival, you seize the rival and you run your own empire on it and you still make all the money. So you don't need to go after it and squash it. You can just yeah. take control and make money that way. Right. What's why that? hasn't been the case uh, why there has been instead the prohibition to try to get rid not just of marijuana as in like stuff that people smoke but as in hemp itself and yeah. industrial hemp for all of its users why go that route rather mm-hmm. than oh great we'll start our own hemp industry and we'll be right. the monsanto hemp or whatever you know yeah well i think in a lot of ways it's because hemp in the hands of the people is freedom Mm -hmm. so meaning like you know it's so easy to grow it's so easy to generate yourself that if you're industrializing it it's difficult to control the market you know because like you know this is the same thing about you know legal cannabis like uh if people grew their own weed it would completely topple the capitalistic approach to to legalization that we have to, to implementing uh legalization right and the thing is this 
it's so fucking easy to grow weed. It's really not a difficult thing. Like, I have houseplants here, right? They're lovely, by the way. That oh, fiddly fig is impressive. Thank you so much. I'm very proud of this guy. I've had him for be. a couple of years now. Um, <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, no, it's all good. So, uh, you know, in that, as soon as people discover that, like, the person who comes up with the easy home grow kit... And there's already a couple out there that are really good. It's going to make millions. Oh, yeah. Is that is that your, <laughs> that's your venture? Huh? You're I just realized it was right then. Yeah. We're making a video of it. We're going to we're going yeah. to the gardens in Ojai, and we're going to show people how to grow yeah. Hampton straw bales. And, that's, and, awesome. and that's definitely, I mean, I, I would say that's the primary reason that we saw that approach. Because, for example, think about this. William Randolph Hearst owned a bunch of lumber interests. Now, the process... To make paper out of lumber, it involves chemicals, Super which you got from the right. DuPont yeah. company, right? There was all these people complicit, and it wasn't like really they saw that, okay, well, I can control this resource, right? I'm the only one who can make paper out of pulp. Rockefeller <laughs> said, yeah, they are mustache twirling. Rockefeller said, I'm the only guy that can get petroleum. Henry Ford, if you make the Model T run on hemp-based ethanol, then everyone's going to be able to grow their own fuel. And I don't want that. I want to have control of the supply. But isn't Kennedy said, the... I'll get the booze for you. Yeah. But like, right? isn't the process... I mean, I get the growing. Yeah, anybody can grow. That's fine. Yeah. But isn't the process of then turning hemp into whether it's uh, paper or whether it's anything else... It's not exactly, a, I mean, people can do it at home, but it's not exactly an easy do-it-yourself kind of thing. Right. So if the guy is controlling the process to make paper from, you know, whatever the <laughs> fuck, why not con- add on, be the one that also control the weeding? Like, what I'm yeah. not getting is why did they go the squash them route rather than yeah. control the, I mean, because I understand what you're saying. You know, there is an element yeah. that, Hemp is easier to grow compared to many other things. Yeah. So that, of course, it's going to be harder to control. For well, you're sure. right. They want the full prohibition, gonna... though. They get, you yeah. can't fuck around. It's like you're saying, if there's one guy got fields of hemp going over, that's for the ropes. There's going to yeah. be somebody in there growing the good shit. It had to be crushed the way they, yeah. the, the feds came in and smashed all the bottles of whiskey and shit. They didn't want that. And plus, paper was working fine for them, too, because there's enough trees to last forever, and let's just keep poisoning these fucking streams, and who gives a shit? Yeah. Why change? It's but, working. That would be another headache to have to go, now i got to control the hemp industry. Fuck it. Why don't we just remove it and shut it right. down, and hey, we can pay lots of cops that way and keep them smashing people's heads in. What that about, seems like the Rockefeller move. Because, I mean, even the... Um, like, I don't know. Is tobacco hard to grow? No. It's not? If they can grow in Kentucky and Tennessee, it can't be that hard. So <laughs> why, like, that's case in point, right? There is a tobacco industry that controls the market. People could just grow their own tobacco, but they don't. So Lazy. it's one of the things where it's like, yeah. in that sense, why go after weed in that regard when... Yeah. probably you're still going to control the market if you are the big industry, you know, despite the fact yeah. that you can have the mom and pop that make their own paper at home. It's like, yeah, that's not too many people, you know? Yeah, th- and, and I, I think that that's a great point. You know, it, it, it's true. Like there, no one's sitting at home with a loom, like making this shit, right? But but if you look at, if you look at where, what hemp was to American agriculture at sure. the time that all these other powers sort of saw it as a threat, uh, you know, it was so widespread. I mean, it was grown in like 
across the fucking yeah. country. It was way more of that than corn for sure. Yeah, right. exactly. Like a huge amount. Yeah, and and it's you know it's this very renewable resource that there's just endless supply for, and that supply is readily available in front of sure. everybody, right? And I, I mean, you know, on an individual level, nobody's at home, you know, yeah. looming hemp. But at a community level. That's very plausible, right? And a community I that see. has its own, you know, uh, a, a regional community that has its own supply of fiber and paper and all that stuff. I mean, now that is a threat to a, 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 a multinational paper company. So do you feel that the direction that we're going now, where he's toward legalization, both of uh, marijuana as a recreational substance, as well as industrial hemp, mm. Do you think that kind of there was a tide of just popular support and now so the industries are like, okay, the, it's out of the bag. We can put it back in. So we might as well try to, because con- now that's the effort, right? They are trying yeah. to control it. They are trying to run it as a, like any other big industrial crop. Yeah. And I guess my thing was like, why didn't they do that all along? Right. But I, Well, I think it's, this is a demonstration. What we're seeing is, is a demonstration of two forces butting heads, right? Now, one of those forces is this, like, uh, you know, this desire to control the masses, right? This, 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 this desire to control what people are buying and sure. what they're consuming. And the other force is the pure human spirit, which knows that everything in this environment is, we're a part of it just like everything else, and we commune with it and all that stuff. I mean, there are these two opposing things that we see just, mm-hmm. you know, constantly. You can call them good or, good or evil. You can call it man or machine. You can call it plants versus robots. Or, or, I call it don't shit in your aquarium. Yeah, right? right? Yeah. It, it, don't shit in your aquarium is, is, a, is a good rule. I personally subscribe to the don't shit in your aquarium thing. But essentially, like, you know, what, what we have is... Uh, could you repeat the question? <laughs> <laughs> In case you are wondering, somebody, we won't mention name, has fired off a sativa at the beginning of this conversation. <laughs> and he was a little more powerful than anticipated. Yeah, it's true. No, I guess the thing is but to me... illegal. Because, I mean, you read like the Emperor Wear No Clothes, that kind of stuff, where the standard argument is, you know, evil corporations squashed it because it was competition for yeah. their money-making venture. Yes. Now, of course, the same big corporations are trying to control the weed market as they realize that that's where it's going, so you might as well make some money. And the question in that regard was like, why not do that in the first place? Why even bother doing this all? Let's squash it, let's, uh, and then later jump on it. Why not try to do that all along? Right, So, so you know what? Initially, the threat of cannabis was not simply this, you know, a, a tangible, oh, this is a physical threat to, uh, you know, uh, to a number of industries. It was also that this is a substance that inspires dissent. Mm-hmm. It inspires the questioning of authority, right? And it is like, look, no one can really point to hard evidence of systematic control of psychedelics, but if all you have to do is look at the schedule of prohibited drugs in sure. the U.S. And you will see the categories. It's insane because on Schedule 2 and 3, there's pharmaceutical drugs that we know have killed hundreds of thousands yeah. of millions of people. And on Schedule 1, we see chemicals that 
and compounds that have literally never killed anyone. Right. Show me the recorded deaths from psychedelic mushrooms. Show me the uh, recorded deaths from uh, acid, from reasonable doses of acid, of LSD. Right. Like, that stuff is a tool. God damn, I mean, everyone in the world should try LSD at least one time, right? And it's on the schedule one. MDMA, which is now being proven to, you know, be really effective in treating people with suicidal tendencies, people with depression. Psilocybin is the same thing. When you look at the schedule of drugs, you, you realize the priorities, right, that, that have been in place. And essentially, the force of, of good, the force of belief, right, has toppled over an 80-year propaganda campaign. Sure. And that's what we're seeing now is that it is like, you know, this wave of legalization is the force of the human spirit demonstrating that it cannot be suppressed, right, in a lot of ways. But also what we're seeing is the other force, the dark force is coming back right and what they're going to try to do now is that instead of trying to oppress it suppress it they're going to try to sublimate it into something that's beneficial for them they're going to try sure. to convert it into something Oxy that they hemp. cash in on yeah exactly and oxy hemp is is coming all these things are coming right and the sad thing is that americans are such trained consumers Sheep. that yeah th that that they're probably just gonna buy the philip morris version of the weed and not support their local uh grower and not support the you know the, the small industry and not not try to grow weed themselves uh, you know, you would hope that we're moving in a direction. And, you know, here, I, I will say this. For whatever reason, right, despite all the news and all the, the terrible mm -hmm. shit that seems to be in the airwaves, I am optimistic about where we're headed as a society. I'm optimistic on every fucking level, on an individual level, on a, you know, like just like the worlds I, I operate in, whether it's cannabis or entertainment or podcasting or whatever, beyond that into the social and political realms of America and the rest of the world, I think things are getting better. There are more freedoms now for everybody for everybody right then we had a long time ago yes there's racism sure. yes there's all kinds of fucked sure. up shit but we're doing a lot better you know i'm a muslim brown skinned guy i have a blonde white girlfriend right and we can walk around wherever we can fly to different countries and, and walk around and do the thing and you know what in 2020 no one sneers at us well some people do sure. occasionally but generally no one does right this is something that was illegal yep like you know what i mean like uh not that long yeah. ago um the fact that we can walk down the street and smoke weed we're, we're right now we're sitting in my house we're smoking weed freely this is all legal cannabis it's excellent clearly <laughs> it's got us all hyped um but yeah you know i think we're doing better than we think we are okay i dig that i remember rich's greatest moment in weed yeah you talked about like kind of through high school I would try it here and there in parties, but I didn't. I never really just got bombed. I was probably more drunk than anything in most of those occasions as well. But early in the college, I was at some cat's crib, and the Beatles were on, and they brought this bong over, and I coughed like crazy. And she's so heavy, is cranking away in the background, and it was quite obvious at that moment that I was really high. Yes, that's a great moment in your personal weed history. Yes. And so a great moment in weed history. I had, um, I think weed helped me appreciate reggae. Because oh, reggae music, like one of the problems that I had was that like, I think first year of high school or something, all the kids who listened to reggae were just dicks. I just didn't like them. 
And I was like, so in my mind, reggae was associated with being obnoxious, uh, kind of a loser and whatever. So I was like, oh, reggae, I don't dig it. Yeah. And then one day, I think I was 15, 16, something like that. I just smoked some weed. I was like, man, there's a Bob Marley thing. Let's listen to what the big deal is. And I was just like, I want to love you. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest music ever. I just <laughs> love this. This is the cool. So, okay, I have just a some bad connection with people I don't like associated with this music. But mm. the music itself is amazing. And, yeah. oh, this weed is helping me appreciate that. And it was so the musical perfect. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> that, you know, it, it, what's funny, Danielle, is I've listened to your podcast, mm -hmm. this one, to History on Fire. For a while, I'm a huge right. fan. And I was always like, yo, this guy definitely smokes weed. You know, th th right, there's right. something in your descriptive uh, speech, you right. know, that it's just, I feel like, you know, I feel like you're a stony guy. I'll tell you, okay, so since I'll tell you the first time I smoked weed, that was an interesting one, because I was 11 years old, and I smoked weed with my mom and her friend. And it was wow. one of the things where, like, her friend had a joint, and uh, I was like, she and my mom were smoking, and I was like, okay that looks interesting <laughs> and so the friend was like look at my mom like what do we do do we is it okay to give yeah. him a hit is it not and my mom was like yeah hit sure why not <laughs> and so i took a hit and i remember at the best you know when you're a kid you tend to trash a lot when you sleep you're kicking everywhere you wake up with your head upside down you do all these things when you sleep it's very and I remember sleeping like a mummy. I just fell asleep in one position. I woke up 10 hours later in the exact same position. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this felt nice. <laughs> yeah. and, um, <laughs> Amazing. Your mom smoked you out for the first time. Yeah. And the thing that was interesting Incredible. to me, why crazy, I, I thought it was actually really useful. Every kid I would, I knew, I mean, I think like, 80 to 90% of people I went to high school with, maybe by the end of, maybe beginning of high school, everybody started smoking cigarettes, right? Mm. It was like very much part of the cultural thing. Yeah. And I remember when I was, uh, I don't know, 12, 13, something like that. So I started, you know, I was like, I like to experiment. So I picked up cigarettes and, you know, my mom was like, she just came down on me where she was like, look, that's just fucking stupid. Yeah. You yeah. know what? what are you doing you know it's one uh, thing yeah. do you want to try one cigarette once in a million years just to have the idea but to make it a habit that's oh. as unhealthy as it fucking gets yeah and here is the thing if she was the mom who told me no to everything mm -hmm. i would have been like yeah sure fuck anyway. you because yeah. you don't know what you're talking about but she was the one who let me try weed at 11. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's like, clearly... <laughs> Yo, you, your mom is cool. Yeah, the policy wasn't, I say no to everything. The policy is if it's safe and it leads to you being safe and happy, we are good. Yeah. If it's not safe, then what the fuck are you doing? And so then it's like, okay, we got the same goals here. Yeah. You know, this is not a conflictual relationship where I have to sneak in and get, you know, it's... We under even weed. She was like, "Look, you want to try once in a while? Great. Yeah. You want to smoke a lot? Probably not a good idea, especially yeah. when you are developing as a teenager. Not yeah. such a good plan. That's so. to get you, though, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's super. A, that didn't even become a lifelong customer. Yeah, but oh but that was God. the thing. It's like yeah. little, sure, lot. Yeah. 
what the fuck are you talking about? You're a teenager. I think oh. that's very reasonable. Everything in moderation. Even now, in moderation. you know, yeah. like I, I, I look at my habits. There's things that I like, you know, there's things that I enjoy. There's things I feel like I need. I try to break the cycle once in a while. I stop smoking weed fairly frequently for a, for a few days. Sure. Or, you know, like uh, sometimes I'll institute nighttime rules where I'm like, oh, only when the sun's down, I'll smoke. And I mean, at the same time, except in leap year, yeah. And I'm like, it's like noon, and we're smoking. <laughs> I guess that rule went out the window for today. Only when the sun dies are very Ramadan kind yeah, of thing, yeah. right? It's like days. you sit there and you stare at the joint, and you stare oh. at the sun, and you're like, <laughs> not just moving. a few more it minutes. Be going just eight hours of it. Yeah, just a solid eight hours. Do they smoke cigarettes in Thailand a lot? That seems like some place to be yeah. smoking. Um, and what about Pakistan? Yeah, so I mean, people uh, love it, right? Yeah, definitely in Thailand. I mean, I don't know how it is now. It's it's been a while, uh, you know, since I've been back. Uh, cigarettes were certainly present in Pakistan. Cigarettes were very, very common. Uh, men tend to just smoke cigarettes. Right. I mean, like that. Th there was only uh, you know many people in my family smoked cigarettes for a long time. I smoked cigarettes. Uh, I started when I was fifteen, probably. And I just quit in 2019. Nice. So yeah, which I'm I'm very thankful for. I like to knock on wood when I say it because I don't I don't want to fall back in. And yeah, sure, I still will occasionally smoke a cigarette. You know, I'll like bum one mm -hmm. from somebody or something. Uh, but in terms of it being a habit, it's really not anymore. And I'm super thankful for that uh, because. Yeah, and, and that's definitely advice that I give to younger people or to anyone yeah. really is don't start smoking cigarettes. I would yeah. echo what your mom Tough said time. because it's it, it's really hard to get off your back. And I mean, it's like really enjoyable. Yeah. Come on. A, a cigarette is good, but being a smoker feels like shit. Yes. Right. You know what I mean? Like it, it really does. Like you, you can't jog and you can't fucking like there's so yeah. many things you can't do you you wake up on an airplane and you're just jittery it's horrible it, it's a really horrible existence and like the like you know look the world hates it tobacco is certainly you know like look I, i'm a guy who advocates for a marginalized substance right now tobacco has countless campaigns demonizing it some of them are probably even extreme and kind of full of shit sure. but what I know from being a smoker is that it really is, it, it's a bad fucking habit. Mm -hmm. Out of all the things that I've done in my life, I'm not really a drinker. I don't really have uh, an addictive personality. You know what? Sure, I do. I think everyone has an addictive personality. You know, they got like, something for you. Yeah, you, you start drinking, uh, you know, uh, some brand of, uh, you know, soda. And like, uh, that's one thing that I really love is coca-cola right and i try not to drink it but you know what i fucking love sure, it like, I, got I, it. I can't help it you know i, since I was a kid. created by science to be perfectly delicious yeah know? exactly and it is you know it's i try to limit myself from doing it i've had long phases where i stopped drinking soda yeah. but then i always come back in fact that is a harder habit to kick than smoking cigarettes yeah. i've been doing it far longer <laughs> no i get it like for i don't like i don't drink soda Hardly, yeah. pretty much never. But I remember that when I did, or there were phases like when I would, uh, I remember writing Create Your Own Religion. And my. Brought to you by Mountain Dew. Yeah, pretty much. The way to kind of stay with it and get focused was like when I'm crashing, I would have 
coke with um, um, beef jerky. There was this oh. amazing bison jerky that Ooh. kind of give you that protein energy and you're getting <laughs> into it. And, and, the, and you had the sh- sugar rush of the coke and the caffeine. And my brain was like fighting 10,000 miles an hour. On the other end, it's crap that you're putting in your body. Oh, so, yeah. of course, you treat it like a serious drug. Blast. That is like, Excellent. It has its moments here and there, but you definitely don't want it to be a habit. You know, yeah. as well. It's another one of the things. You enjoy a Coke, great, mm-hmm. fun. You drink Coke as in a daily thing, uh, uh, that's a bad deal, you yeah. know. So it's, uh, but just so we actually do get to your work at oh, some yeah, point right. eventually, do tell about great moments. Yeah. So uh, my podcast, Great Moments in Weed History, uh, I co host it with my colleague, David Beanenstock. Uh, he's a longtime cannabis journalist. Oh, excuse me. He's a longtime cannabis journalist. Uh, he was at High Times for a long time. Uh, High we, Times. I yeah, remember. yeah. Yes. He's he's an OG. Um, and, you know, he's definitely one of the guys who's reported on cannabis a lot before, uh, you know, we've had uh, these big sort of swaths of legalization. Sure. And after. Uh, you know, and on the show, we try to encapsulate what we think are these important pieces of history uh, that have to do with cannabis that go back thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of years. And the cool thing about it is that a lot of people that you know about, like Phil Acuti, like Maya yeah. Angelou, uh, like Carl Sagan, mm-hmm. they have weed stories. And those parts of their lives are shrouded in mystery. Sure. They're not really written down anywhere because, you know, like a lot of people had to hide the fact that they smoke weed. You know what's interesting to me is that, for Closeted. example... That's hilarious. Yeah, exactly. Like, for example, Ken Burns did 20 hours on jazz, right? And he did not talk about weed once. Weed was an instrumental part yeah. of that culture. And we did an episode about Louis Armstrong <laughs> and his drug dealer, Mez Mesro, which will tell you something that's omitted from the historical record. Right. The fact that... Louis Armstrong and many, many denizens of the jazz scene in the United States, New Orleans and yeah. beyond, were massive potheads. Sure. You know what I mean? And and it wasn't a negative part of the culture. It wasn't like heroin was for yeah. jazz at a certain point. Uh, it was something that spurred on the creativity and the friendships and the right. joyous vibes that we know the jazz <laughs> art to express. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, so th- that's that's what our show is, and you know, on every episode, uh, Bean and Stock, I call him Bean. He researches and writes the history of it, and he tells it to me, and you know, I can kind of uh, informedly respond. You know, I've I've done a lot of cannabis journalism myself over the years uh, for a long time. Advice for a lot of different places, Guardian and Complex, and. Uh, bunch of others and i'm currently a cannabis reporter for uh the greater la show on kcrw here in la nice so each episode you guys uh pick particular stories and uh, run with it yeah exactly so ones in season one that we did were uh we did one on on phil acuti Mm -hmm. we did a story great music by the way yeah, right? Oh, man, I, I really love Phil Acuti. I, I write to that music. I'll, like, just throw it on. 
and you know, as I'm as I'm writing, it's it has like this incredible energy that it kind of fills you with. Um, we did a story about how Willie Nelson smoked weed on the roof of the White House. Now, right. of course, you knew that Willie Nelson had a weed story, but did he have a great moment in weed history? Yes, right. he did. He smoked weed with Chip Carter, who is Jimmy Carter's son, on the, on roof, the roof of, of the, the White, White House. House. Yeah. That's genius. Um, and then in season two, uh, <laughs> a really dope story that we did was we did a two-parter about Tom Fursad, who is a smuggler, right, who then got involved with the alternative press, right? And he ended up founding High Times Magazine, what yeah. we know as High Times Magazine. And he's very true to, uh, you know, a lot of like weed outlaw legend uh, characteristics. Sure. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. it, it's a really cool story. It's a two-parter. We also interviewed our friend Jesus Hands, who is an artist who changed the Hollywood sign to say Hollyweed a couple years ago. That was a really, I mean an amazing or i should say a great moment <laughs> in weed that. history <laughs> right oh, no. um, it's a branding problem yeah. all of a sudden <laughs> because uh you know it it spoke to a very specific time and place weed was now legal this was hollyweed yeah. this is hollyweed you know we live in it um and that was a really beautiful moment and and this season coming up we have a story about louisa may alcott who is the author of Little Women, oh, yeah, yeah. which course, has a new course. fantastic adaptation uh, directed by Greta Gerwig that's uh, that's out now. Oh, yeah, the Oscars are this mm-hmm. Sunday. By the time this airs, we'll, know, fast, right? we'll know how it yeah. did. Um, but yeah, so Louisa May Alcott has a cannabis story. I won't say specifically what it is, but uh, you know, based on the autobiographical nature of a lot of what she writes, there is definitely a story that would suggest that she has experienced cannabis uh, because you have to experience it to be able to describe it verbally so, like that. And, you know, she does that. So those women may have been little, but they were really high. That's a good thing. Did yeah. you see that that is actually a fanboyism that was created around that, the Jane Austen stuff? Yeah, right. It Isn't was like crazy? popular fiction, you know? It's like It was like the, the They would Netflix cosplay and hang out. Yeah, yeah, right. Smoke. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, a few years back they had, uh, you know, they made all those movies, they made books, but I think they made also some movies where everything they would add zombies, it was like yeah. Pride and Prejudice and zombies. Yeah, 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 and like, that was a thing. I think like Little Women with Zombies would be the way to go. I don't know yeah. if they did it or not. It has to have already happened. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. There's too many people with phones that are better than any camera you had in 1999. Yeah. yeah. It's unbelievable. That's... No, definitely. <laughs> so the greatest moment to you? From so far of your meanderings through history. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I would have to say my favorite moment, and this is the one that I've consistently cited as my favorite moment. It's the oldest moment that we've done. Uh, it's from 2000, about 2,000 years ago. Exactly 2,020 years ago, you might say, because it's a story about how... Jesus Christ was baptized in cannabis oil, right? And there's a lot of scholarship around this. It sounds crazy when you first hear it, but uh, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the anointment, right? The holy anointment of Jesus, which made him the Christ, the christened one, uh, was actually done, and this is the only recipe that's in the Bible, with a 
cannabis infused oil, right? So essentially it was an oil that they infused with nine pounds or a, a very large amount of, I can't remember the exact measurement. I would say nine pounds, but I don't know if they did pounds back sure. then. It might've been like yeah. cubits or whatever. <laughs> cubits. Um, a shitload of. Yeah, a shitload of what scholars have disputed is either cannabis or calamus, right? So it's like, oh, it's it uh, something described as cannabosum. This essentially comes down to a semantic sure. dispute, right? Um, but the thing is that calamus is this completely inert plant that was never recorded as being used for any medical purpose. And uh, cannabis is more likely the thing that gave Jesus this like vision. You know, think about the idea of he was anointing baby people, brain. healing mm. the sick. People were having seizures and then he was anointing them and healing them from having seizures. Now we know that CBD is a treatment for seizures. It's miraculous in some ways, you would say, that you see a kid with Dravet syndrome having 100 seizures a day. It, can blew, be, it blew me away the most. Yeah. It's like, why is this not completely legal right now? Yeah. This, alone, this one yeah. example of this one child. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Enough. And that it could help 85,000 children. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. And they can't get to it because you live in Michigan. I'm sorry about your luck. Insanity. Yeah, yeah. No, it it's is, fucked. But it, it's, it really is. But it's absolutely ridiculous. We yeah. should be out growing as much of it as we can instead of strawberries until the need for the suffering is filled. Yeah, but, we, but that Jesus, ain't the way. You know, I see a episode yeah. cover for his thing with. Oh yeah. Jesus on the cross with the joint hanging yeah, out. Exactly, That's, and it, that <laughs> is, you know, like when you hear that story, it really, you know, uncovers something about you know, the, like the truths that are omitted. Sure. You know, you're like, holy shit, there is so much uh, that has just been stricken from the record. Right. Oh. And we see that as our uh, charge. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we're, we're, we're just telling the stories that no one else is telling. And the thing to me is that like, they are really good stories too. Like all this shit is interesting uh, you know, as I'm hearing them on the show, like I'm enthralled. They're really fucking good. That's yeah. Bean does a great that, job. That is, uh, yeah. Pardon the pun. I wasn't intended as a pun, but I realized now as I was about to say it, you aim high with that story. That's uh, that it. Doesn't get any more <laughs> than the Jesus tale, right? If you can connect weed and Jesus, you're doing something right. I can I can hook America in a high school experience. The arm, the Air Force would hand out book covers when we were in high school, and it would say "Aim High," yeah. and everybody I know would remove the aim so that our book covers all said "I'm High." Right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> it yeah, actually yeah. became a thing that you can't do that anymore. But the Air Force gave it to us. I I'm High. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's awesome. Cool. Before we wrap, any last thing uh, you want to throw out there? Um, peach, hmm. things, random stuff. Yeah. So let's talk about history on fire for Do a second. Tell. That you know, uh, I'm a history podcast junkie. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, definitely. Um, you know, I, I I just have a fascination with history, right? Like I think a lot of people do. But I gotta say, Danielle, your approach to telling these histories is is so fucking awesome, man. Like, it, it, like the, the conquest of Mexico, uh, conquest of the uh -huh. Americas is like, is my favorite series that you did. And it really is what made me see this, 
uh, pivotal moment in history as a story. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? For the first time, I think we've all learned about Cortez and sure. school and all that stuff and Montezuma and and all that shit. But uh, I gotta say, man, you know, you've really uh, you really nailed it. Uh, and your descriptions are, are are amazing. I know you always down talk your own accent and your own pronunciation, <laughs> but it's really fucking good. And it's it's what makes the personality of your show a lot. I've always wanted to tell you that you're very self deprecating. Well, about you your know accent. what it is is um, like most people either like it or don't care, and they can live with it. Yeah. But the people, a lot of the time, whenever you, there's hate overwhelmingly tied to the accent really yeah more than any other feature of the podcast no so way. again it's like that's a minute percentage but out of the people who are on the hitter camp overwhelmingly the an- accent is at the top of the list why can't you talk american yeah pretty much See, but that's ridiculous because you're so articulate like you know you speak academically about all of these things and also, look, I'm an editor. Like you know, I, I've, I've mm-hmm. worked as a, a text editor, like a you know journalism editor, or whatever, for a long time. I listen for grammatical errors and things like that. You have never made a grammatical error, as far as I can tell. Right. I feel good with like in terms of English, you know, as far as my vocabulary, the grammar, the stuff. I feel oh, yeah. great. It's just that, and and also the thing is, you lived in a bunch of places, so accents don't bother you. You can right, pick right, up right. stuff. There are people, and I think they actually mean well. They're like, look, I like the topics. When I understand what the hell you're saying, I actually like it. But I really don't get it. You know, the accent is... And they don't have the year. I've to always get around felt that it, way, obviously. You know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I don't know what this guy. I yeah, still don't. It's eight years. I don't know what the fuck he's talking no about. No idea. But and I think so. Now? That's the so the accent thing is. Uh, I mean, I clearly don't give a fuck. Otherwise, I would have worked on it long ago. But it would have <laughs> been really that. hard really difficult Mm -hmm. and i'm just like ah so if i lose five percent of the audience i lose five percent yeah way back he told me that he kept the accent because the ladies liked it well i mean oh yeah of course the italian accent is a good one exactly you know what i mean it's it's a sexy accent yeah and and i mean you know like when you listen to history shows i think that there's a lot in the voice uh you know i think that you listen to dan carlin Uh there's a lot to just the actual timbre of his voice Mm -hmm. you listen to mike duncan and uh, and on that show you know which i love that show is so straightforward because he literally it just the music comes in he's like this is the history of rome and he picks it up it's this long history to dredge (laughs) through and he just reads the script and it's good, and it's like a little wry and a little like, you know, like uh-huh. at times he makes little jokes, but they're very dry. Um, and it's like this perfect packaging of it. His voice just works for it. Yep. And it was very enlightening to hear him on your show uh-huh. because on History of Rome, you really don't get that much of a sense of his personality. Of course, he's of really, course. You know, he's telling you this story kind of straightforward. Uh, and in the same way on your show, that's, it is the color of it. It, it, it you know, like it it's... It dances around in this way. You you know, you make a lot of jokes. It's a very funny show. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a lot of uh, history shows that are that funny. And, you know, it's definitely something that I carried into trying to make uh, great moments in weed history is to embody the personality of what the show is, right? Which is, you know, we definitely don't try to goof it up you know to us you know the the era of like the sort of goofy portrayal portrayal of stonerism is over but you know we speak intelligently we speak academically right but 
we also dick around and like make a joke or whatever. And I think that's the problem with humor in podcasts sometimes, that unless mm-hmm. they are a straight-up comedy podcast, a bunch of times there are people who are forcing trying. Uh, yeah, there's this forcing, this, like, ha-ha, we are going to have fun. And I'm like, yeah. that defeats having fun. You know, that's the exact yeah. opposite of, it's like trying to explain your jokes. You know, it's like, yeah, you're killing it that way. That's not going to help. Yeah. Whereas to me, it's like Uber is like, you're going to have your moment where you're having fun with that one thing. And then yeah. you go back to the story because that's what you're doing. You're not just fucking around the whole time. Yeah. And I think that a lot of time when people play with you more, they do it as their trademark and that's all they do. And it, to me, it's not It's not even that it's not like good history or something. To me, it's just it's not funny. Yeah. Like, I don't find it funny when you're trying every three seconds with... Some, to make a joke. Yeah, exactly. It has to happen organically. And that, you know, that's something I noticed on your show as well. It's like... If it's not a spot to make a joke, it's like you'll just make one because in the moment you're like, huh, there's something funny about this. Yeah. On Great Moments in Weed History, you know, some people expect it to be a comedic podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm a stand-up comedian also. Sure. You know, so it's like it factors in. And I'm certainly trying to make jokes in life in general. Sure. So, but there's like, you know, weed history is fraught with very bad moments that come before the yep. great moment. There's a lot of suffering, a lot of injustice. <laughs> So when we're talking about that stuff, we don't make jokes about it. We right. have entire episodes that are, I mean, yeah, where that it's are very forward. serious. Of course, it's like if it fits, it fits. If it's not, you don't force it. Exactly. That's there was the weed totally. famine of 1992 to 1993. Yeah. A lot of people don't like to talk about that. Sad time, <laughs> Sad, man. Yes. You know, we talked about the weed drought in New York of the 90s at our last live show in New York. And people cry and when they remembered you yeah could see no the tears. there was a guy yeah. up front who is uh, this guy rick kusick who is also an og high times journalist there was no weed he, you know he denied it he shook his head and he was like nope there was no weed drought and from the stage i called out and i was like yeah rick you worked at high times for like the yeah, last of 20 years course of course there was course no weed drought for you that was right. the final fortress <laughs> yeah of course that's funny when you fall back all the way that's where you go is their offices yeah Do, oh that's man. hilarious that's hilarious yeah that, that's really funny um, oh yeah, and uh, you know what? Uh, speaking of which, I also I'm doing a new show uh, with the same company that we do great moments of weed history with with Spoke Media. That's called Pep Talks, or it's literally just me giving pep talks. Uh, and you know, I'm trying out the thing of just being a guy who talks, and that's the whole podcast. And that's what you do, right? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Uh, so I'm taking a stab at it, and it's called it's going to be called Pep Talks with Bill. It's coming out pretty soon. It's kind of an experiment in just injecting positivity into the world. Just putting it out there, being like, it's all right. We're all going to be fine. Don't worry about things. Yeah. No, that's definitely. That's cool. (laughs) I dig it. So you're doing these two shows right now. That's that's great. Mm -hmm. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for the conversation. It's been an honor. Thank you both so much for having me. Thanks. Beautiful. Good shit. Funky music means one thing. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Tiles podcast. Now that's a conversation right there, man. The war against the people. It's time for us to rise up and take care of these problems. I can't take it anymore, Bellelli. You know why I'm learning Spanish? 
because I want to be the mayor of Oxnard. That's coming up next. Well, it's going to take a little while for me to get it polished. Creating the independent Republic of Oxnard where might as well. psychedelics will be legal and all they the They got good oil stuff. there. Yes. They got lemons and what else do you need? Not a bad deal. You guys know the drill. We mentioned all the sweet folks who support us in one way or another at the Open. So please check out those websites. Yep. That's deeply appreciated. Let's go butcher some name of the sweet people who donated. Let the butchering begin. These people who got their name messed up this week are Andrews Jovaisa, Jim D'Amico, Froggy Style Productions, Thomas Robinson, Chris Trejbal, Matt Chebre, Mark Strumble, Strumble, I think. There's no M. Strumble, I think. Sorry, Mark. Jesse Rantakangas, Yanni Linnima, Luis Pesquera, Aaron Weisner, Christopher Parcel, Jonathan Waterloo, Stephen McKee, Thomas Robinson, Ross Cranham, Pat Hartman, Andre Garapetian, and Lisa Robles. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, everybody. That's too kind of you to send us those fine donations to keep us alive for another hour. Deeply appreciated. If you shop on Amazon, please use our Amazon link. And while I have your attention, one more thing. Um, I, For the sake of making things easier with the Amazon link, I created a website that would uh, immediately direct you to our Amazon link without you having to click anything else. I was planning on calling dbamazon.com, but I, I think there are some serious rules against doing such things using their name, and I would probably get murdered. I don't want that. So we decided to call it dbamaz. What other word ends that way? Let's do amazing. So, in the most ridiculous, funny, weird thing there is, we'll call it dbamazing.com. If you click that one, it automatically opens the Amazon link. Thank you so much for using that. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Danielli at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour here. Dun, dun, dun. I
completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's so let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me. Can you about, translate for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought. <coughs> sorry. Well. <coughs> We'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> That's maybe too powerful. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky. Podcasting. It's like radio, but you can cuss. Why?